0: Okay. So last week we did chapter 18. Um, we started this whole new section of, remember we said we, until now we discussed how to create an emotion through meditation, right? And meditation is a lifelong process. It takes a long time. And you make, remember, slow and steady Um, and we said, um, it, it happens slowly and not even completely. Right. Um, which is a wonderful thing that we are, we're not forgetting about meditation. We always want to constantly include that in our service, but what happens if we need to create an emotion instantly, right? So that's where we are in these chapters 18 to 26, we're going to talk about how to create an emotion instantly because sometimes we need to do that. And meditation takes too long, we don't have the time. We need to be able to create this emotion right away. So we introduced this concept last week and we introduced the concept of ahava mesuteres, this um, hidden love, right? And we said that we, this dormant, right? It's dormant love. And we talked about how we got it from, we got it as an inheritance from our forefathers, right? how and why. And we spoke about, we got this inheritance because our forefathers were so devoted to Hashem. They were a chariot. They had, they had no will of their own. They completely devoted their lives to Hashem because of their devotion. They merited that all their descendants were going to have this dormant love that's located in their soul. Where did we say it's located in the soul? I mean, it's been two weeks and I don't expect you to remember because it's a lot of information, but we said in the Chachma of the soul, right? Because the Chachma is where the potential of this godliness exists because anything else limits it too much. Chachma has the ability to house the infinite because it's very intangible on its own, right? We said the, 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 the um the power of what? right? It's so not contained that that's the only place that Hashem's ain't so infinite light can actually originate from. Okay. So we also said that we're going to have, we had four questions about this love. I'm going to review the four questions last, last week, we answered two of them this week. We're going to answer the other two. Okay. So what were the four questions we have? We had the question of number one, what's the root of this love, right? Number two, What's the defining property of this love? Number three, why is it our inheritance? Okay. And number four, we said that this dormant love has to include an element of reverence and awe, right? Because you can't have a complete service of Hashem without awe. It has to have love and, love and awe. So why does it include awe and how, and how does this include awe? Okay. Last week, we answered um, A, A. Um, the root of this love. What's the root of the love? Chachma. Okay. Chachma is the root of the love. Um, and we answered C. Why is it, why is this our inheritance? And we said because our forefathers' utter dedication to Hashem, their reward for that was that their descendants were going to have this beautiful dormant love that kicks in in the moment that it's needed. Okay. You're following me so far? We're good. Okay. Chapter 19, we're going to answer we're, what we're going to try to accomplish in this chapter is to try to answer questions B and um, D. Okay. What's the defining property of this love? And how do we include awe? Okay. That's where we're headed in this chapter. And of course, in Tanya fashion, we're going to have to take some detours to understand some fundamental concepts before we get to the answers. Okay. Remember, th- remember these. Chapters are deep. Okay, these chapters sometimes take us on a tangent. We will always we will always bring it back to practicality. But sometimes, if a concept is like not penetrating or you're not understanding it completely, that makes sense. These chapters are hard. Um, even when I was um, preparing, like it is, it's it's they're deeper concepts. We just want to touch upon them. Okay, so it's okay if we don't get them completely. But if there are any questions, make sure to ask me, I will answer them to the best of my ability, but we're working towards a goal here. So don't get disheartened or sidetracked by all these side things we're bringing. We're we're always going to bring it back to the goal that we're working towards. It happens to be that some of these things are super fascinating and super like sciency, which is really fun. Um, But let's, we we always have to remember not to get caught up in some of these things if we're having a hard time. Okay. Um, Okay. So here we go. Starting chapter 19. So we want to the first question we want to answer is what's the what's the defining property of this love? What makes this love so unique and special? So before we actually understand the defining property of this love, we have to understand this verse. The verse is Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam. Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam. Adam's soul is Hashem's candle. Okay. What, what does that actually mean here? Um, when we were, when we say Adam, we're referring to the collective souls of the Jewish people. Okay. And what we're saying is that our soul is the flame. Our soul is compared to a flame of a candle. Okay. Our soul inside of us is a flame. We compare it to a flame. What's the nature of a, of a fire or flame. And the nature of fire is that it always flickers upwards. Okay. That's the nature of fire. Why? Why does fire always flicker upwards? Almost like it's trying to detach itself from the wick. Okay. Or its source, whatever the fire, if it's a log or a wick, right? The flame's always flickering upwards and it almost looks like it's trying to detach itself from the wick or whatever it's connected to. Okay. So, um, Here is what we're going to understand. Why we're going to understand this according to actual nature, so science nature. We want to understand this, okay? So the core element of fire is is above, and we're going to say the core root of fire is right below the orbit of the moon, okay? and that's where its sources, and that's where it's trying to flick, flicker up towards. Now, there's something called the classic model of the universe, okay? And Tanya and Hasidus accepts this classic model of the universe. The, the universe is split into two categories, okay? Terrestri- the terrestrial region and the celestial region, okay? The terrestrial region includes earth and everything surrounding it up into the moon's orbit, okay? That's terrestrial. Celestial is um, everything beyond the moon's orbit. Okay, those are celest- that's celestial. So everything in the telestial region um, is comprised of four elements, right? In our world, everything has four elements. What are those four elements? Earth, air, fire, and water. Okay, you're with me? Now, these four elements, um, it's not, when they're in rest mode in its natural state, they want to connect to its source, their core, okay? So for for water, earth, and air, the core of the elements are in the center of the earth. Of the earth okay, so when they're in rest mode, they're drawing inward, okay? When water's resting, it's flat, okay? When earth is resting, it's flat. When the air is calm, it's, it's going downward. Okay. Except for fire. Fire's source is up right beneath the moon's orbit. So it's still part of the terrestrial, um, uh, what's it called? Region, but its source is up. So when the natural state of fire is not rest, it's not resting in a flat, calm state. It's natural rest. It's natural inclination is to always move upward towards its source, okay? So um, the, even though, now, the the fascinating thing is, is that even though if the flame would actually detach from its wick and unite with its source, it would cease to exist down here, right? There would be no flame or fire down here if it would, unite with its source up there, right? And not only that, once the flame unites with its source, even in its higher region, even in its source, the flame is going to get absorbed by the bigger fire and it's not going to exist. It's not going to have any power of its own. It's not going to exist. So even though the fire's desire is to connect with its source, it would cease to exist. That's its natural state. That's what it wants to do. Okay. Now we call this concept above rationale, right? Because it doesn't really make sense. It's not logical, it's not rational. Why would you want to connect to your source and then you would cease to exist? But it is intrinsic and it's natural. Okay. But it's super rational. Okay. It doesn't make sense logically for that to happen, but it is it's it is the fire's nature and its intrinsic property to do so. Okay. So basically. can imagine what we're saying here we're saying that we're comparing our soul to a flame correct so the flame so our soul what does it want to do because it's compared to a flame it's intrinsic nature wants to connect back with its source right its source hashem right the infinite light in self hashem that's what the soul wants to do so even though the soul would cease to exist it would have no autonomy no power it would cease to be able to do anything on its own that's what the soul wants to do it wants to absolutely totally connect to hashem okay that's the soul's property that's what it wants to do now remember this transcends logic this is super rational it doesn't make sense but it's it's natural right it's confusing like not na- it's natural but not rational um so here we understand what is the 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 defining quality of this dormant love okay the defining quality of a dormant love is its intrinsic super rational desire of the soul to leave its body and reunite with hashem its source so the intrinsic um, property of this love would be, in one word, mesir as right? Giving over, like giving over of itself to cease to exist to connect with its source. Okay, so because we understand that the soul is a flame, its intrinsic quality is to connect to Hashem, then we understand that this dormant love, it's, it's property, what it, it causes in the soul to do is to have self-annihilation, self-nullification. Okay. So not all loves do that. Okay. Later in like chapter in the thirties, we're going to um, really get into the different levels of love. The other levels of love are, are not causing that. What ha, what, the other levels of love is wants to get you to love Hashem, to serve Him. This unique quality of this dormant love can actually facilitate and cause you to give your life for Hashem. Okay, so that's this dormant love, this Ava unique quality. Okay, so now we answered question B. What's this intrinsic quality of this love? What will you say? Mesir nafesh right? You would say um, of, you could give your life for Hashem with its, its wants to connect to its source, okay? That's this love's intrinsic quality. Now, we have a very big question. If all souls are naturally drawn to Hashem, right? The natural desire of a soul is to connect to Hashem, then why doesn't everyone believe in God? How could it be? That a soul is so connected to its source and all it wants to do is reconnect. How could it be that there are hundreds and thousands of Jews that don't even believe in God? Or they think, right? They think they don't believe in God. They act as though they don't believe in God. Correct? How could that be? Okay? So we're going to address that now. And this, you know, we're, and bear with me. We'll get a little technical, but we're going to, we're going to do it. And if there's any questions, please. Please. Use your chat box, unmute. We're gonna uh, there's no point in going through this if we're not feeling like we understand it. Okay. So Tanya explains that under certain conditions, um, oh, excuse me. Tanya explains that the soul, there the soul has to be in a certain place and have certain properties to be able available to be able to feel a connection to Hashem. So just because we have the soul inside of us doesn't mean that these abilities are available to us, okay? Why would some of these abilities be unavailable? Let's learn, okay? So remember, the Chachma of the soul is drawn powerfully to its source because what did we say last time? The chachma is the window into your soul that allows Hashem's light into your soul. Okay, so chachma is the window that lets the light in. Okay, now it—it's like the—it's like the embodied experience of the infinite. Think about that for a second. It's the it's the embodied, we're meaning it's into our body that we can feel it, of an experience that's infinite. We're allowing the infinite light of Hashem into our body. That's chachma. It's the window that allows that to happen, okay? So um, once that light comes into your soul through this window, you have to be able, you have to be a suitable receptacle right? You have to be a suitable vessel for it to continue flowing through your psyche. So the Chachma comes in through this window, but it doesn't necessarily flow through your whole psyche unless you are a suitable vessel for that to happen, unless you allow that to happen. Okay? So just because Chachma is allowed into your body doesn't mean it's allowed to flow through your body. Okay? So um, how do we... Make ourselves a suitable receptacle for this chachma, this infinite light, to penetrate all over. Right. Um, so, in order, in order for us to understand how we can be a vessel, we need to understand another principle, which is very important. Okay. We're going to trace this back. I'm going to make it very clear for you in, in the end. Okay. So, what do we need to understand? That we need to understand first and foremost that chachma. The forces of holiness come exclusively through Chachma. It's not that Chachma is a route to holiness. It's the route, Okay? There's not choices here. There's not like, oh, you can get your light through Chachma. You can get it through here. You can get it through there. The only source of this um, holiness is Chachma. It's the source. It's the route that holiness can come into your body, Okay? So we, we're we're good with that, right? We're we're not shopping around for different you know paths. Chachma is the only path that's gonna allow that in. Why? Why is Chachma the only way that can happen? We kind of touched upon that last week, right? Or two weeks ago. Because everything that is sacred in the universe must flow through chachma because it doesn't have a form of its own, right? It's it's indip- it's it's imp- it is um uh, what am i looking for it is inquisitive enough and it is um open it's open enough to allow hashem to flow through it okay once we get past chachma, it's too finite okay it's too defined and that does not uh how that cannot house infinity okay so the only possible way to house or to get this infinite light of Hashem into our body is through Chachma. There is no other way. Okay. Because remember we said, Koachmah, the power of what? It is this openness that allows, what does openness mean? Okay. When you're open, what does it mean? Even you can apply this to anything, not even in connection to godliness. If you are open for another opinion, if you're open to listening, what does that mean? it means that you are putting aside your ego. When you're open, you are putting aside your ego for for allowing other to be a part of you. If you are open enough to listening to somebody else's opinion, that means you're putting some of your ego aside and allowing yourself to listen to somebody else, right? So the same thing with Hashem. Chachma is open enough that we that it helps us put our ego aside that allows hashem to come in if we're too self-serving and if we're too if we're taking up all the space there's no room it's practical it's science it's physics right you can't allow something else in if you don't make room for it how do you make room for hashem by putting aside some of your ego the more we put aside our ego the more room there is for god it's just facts. It's just how it works, okay? So um, now we understand why Chachma is the window, right? We understand why it only could be Chachma and not anything else. We understand that Chachma is putting aside our ego. And now we're going to understand that that's exactly um. The complete opposite of what klipa and sitra achra are. Remember, like a couple chapters ago, we learned what klipa is, right? We learned that the world can be neutral, or we have things that are neutral, we have things that are unholy, we have things that are holy, right? Different shells, they can be a transparent shell or an opaque shell, depending on what it is, right? But klipa is gets its energy from sitra achra, which is the other side of God. And klipa, what the, the definition of klipa is self-serving. It's ego. Okay. It doesn't allow space for God. Okay. So, um, when we decide to not follow the Torah, right. To not follow Hashem's will, um, what happens is, is that we are being ruled by our um, Nefesh HaVahamas, our animal soul, which sources klipa, okay? Which is completely self-serving, right? Which doesn't allow Hashem's infinite holiness and light to go through our body, right? Which means a chachma is there, but it's stuck in our brain. It's stuck up there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And obviously our dormant love is not going to be able to be activated. If we are being run by klipa, if we are being motivated by self-serving, by our nefesh bahamas by our animal soul, obviously that dormant love is not going to be activated, right? Because it cannot be activated unless we are on the side of openness and, uh, and the side of allowing Hashem to come into us, which is, the opposite of self-serving, right? It's self-sacrifice. Okay, you're with me so far. Any questions? So, what happens is is that many times, I'm going to just you know talk about myself. We're not operating. With our neshama, we're not making godly choices. We're operating with our nefesh Bahamas, which sources klipa, which sources the other side of God. Which means we're self—it's self-serving, it's egotistical. Okay, we're 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 operating on how to make our life better, our physical life, our emotional life, whatever. We just we want it to be good for us, right? So we don't have access to that chachma. That chachma is not accessible to us right now. Okay unless unless there is so so what happens sorry i skip, i skip, i jumped ahead what happens when we are self-serving a lot of times that could lead to lack of faith right we're not thinking godly we're not god is not part of our lives so we have a little bit of a lack of faith that's what we're answering the question right how could every jewish person have a soul and not believe in god Well, because we decide to let klipa, to let our self-serving side of us rule, right? And then a chachma is not accessible. And then of course we can have lack of faith, right? But what happens? When does that dormant love snap to life? When um, the test of faith comes into play. When there's a moment, when there is and op- there is a scenario where it's serve God or you die. It's life or death. Then that dormant love kicks into place and doesn't allow that to happen. Why does that dormant love kick into place? What's the source of that dormant love? The source of that dormant love is Chachma, right? Chachma is super rational. It's not logical. So when a situation arises that is irrational, right? It's going past logic. It's saying, serve Hashem or die. And all of a sudden that Chachma kicks in because it's like, wait a second, I'm not going to be severed from Hashem. That's not, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And it bypasses all our rational thinking. And it goes straight to the source of Chachma, which is super rational. That's why somebody who's a non-believer can give their life for Hashem. Because it bypasses any reason, any logic, any actual circumstance of faith, and it goes straight to the source of Chachma, which is super rational, doesn't need logic. But it perceives the danger of being severed from Hashem, which is not possible or okay for the soul. So this dormant love snaps awake. You're with me? Any questions? Okay, so... Um, so this is why though, it's called dormant. This is why this is called a dormant love because it's not, it's sleeping. It's not awake for the most, for most of us all the time, right? This is a sleeping thing that gets aroused at a moment of life or death situation. But we have to remember it's not ever extinguished. Okay. This dormant love is, is never not there it's just not accessible it's just not there so that's kind of like the definition of exile exile gallas. what's the definition of exile this was really powerful to me actually i never actually focused on the definition of exile and it really really spoke to me the definition of exile is something that's present in a certain location yet is stripped of its power and forced to do activities against its will, right? That's the definition of exile. Exile, like, like let's say right now we're in exile, right? We're not non-existent. We're here in a location, trapped, not being able to do what we want to do and forced to do things against our will, okay? That our soul's in exile, in our body right? It's trapped in our body. If we're not paying attention to it, it's, it's there, it's trapped, but it's being forced to do things against its will because we're being controlled by klipo at that moment. Okay. So we have to be clear that Chachma, the energizing part of Chachma, the, like the, the part of Chachma that can actually influence our actions is in exile. Okay, that makes sense, right? The, the part of Chachma that actually affects change and affects action is in exile. It is not, it's trapped, it's not able to do what it wants to do, right? But the deep core of Chachma is alive and well in our brain. Okay, so the deep core of Chachma gets, so when that window allows the, when the Chachma, which is the window that allows godliness to come into our, our body, that it comes into our body into our brain but it probably gets trapped there and and because of the circumstance of our soul and our body isn't allowing chachma to actually be energizing it's not allowing chachma to actually do its job right because we're we're full of ego so there's no room for it okay so the root and the core of the Chachma is not exiled, it's present in in the location of the brain, right? But it's like dislocated and it's not able to have any effect. The Chachma is not able to have any effect. And then what happens when that dormant love is kicked on, it allows the energizing part of Chachma to actually play into actual action to the point where we're willing to give our life for Hashem at, if God forbid our connection with him is at, in jeopardy. Okay. So let's review. Cause we, I just threw a lot of stuff at you. Okay. What, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about our dormant love. Okay. We want to understand in the beginning part of this chapter, we understood what's the intrinsic property of this dormant love. The intrinsic property of this dormant love is self-sacrifice. Okay. It wants to connect to its source. Even if it ceases to exist, it will connect to its source. That's the intrinsic quality of this dormant love. That's what's unique about this love that the other loves that we're going to talk about later do not have. Okay then and why and how did we get here how did we understand that the intrinsic quality of this love is self-sacrifice because we compared it to a flame right and the flame is always wanting to connect to its source which is beneath the moon's orbit which is above us right that's why it's always flickering upwards then we want to understand if our soul's intrinsic quality is to connect to Hashem how could we how could there be non-believers right? How could there be such a thing of a Jew that doesn't believe? And this is where we're at, where we're saying, yes, every soul is intrinsically wants to connect to Hashem. Every single soul has the Chachma part of its soul, but it's in exile, okay? It's not accessible because it is trapped. Why is it trapped? Because we ourselves have not become a receptacle to allow the Chachma to flow through our body and to actually affect change or cause action. When does the chachma wake up and actually be able to do something and actually be able to um, affect action? When it perceives a threat of severing from Hashem. What's a threat that can sever us from God? Serve God or you die, right? in those circumstances, Chachma kicks in. Why does Chachma kick in? Because it's super rational. It doesn't, it's not defined by logic. Okay. So um, that is when the Chachma is out of exile and can actually save us. Not physically, right? We might get extinguished physically, but our connection to Hashem will be unbroken and not severed, which is all Chachma cares about. Okay? Did that kind of help it flow? Any questions? Because guys, remember, this is big stuff, okay? And we're doing all this in, in a very short time. So also just let it sit and let it like, Ruminate in your brain, and if any questions come up later, you'll let me know. Okay, so now we learned in chapter three, right? um, That for an idea to give rise to an emotion, there are three steps, right? We have Chachma, which is the first step, we have Bina, right? Understanding Da'as, knowledge, right? So um, that's the process. So in the case of a a non-believer or even somebody, a Russia, right? What did we say? Let's just say Russia because Russia is a huge category, right? Russia could be a non-believer and Russia can be someone who serves God almost perfectly, right? But doesn't have complete impulse control. So let's say a Russia, right? What happens is, is that the, um, in the case of a Russia the Chachma, um, re- he has Chachma, it remains pure, but um, he's mostly being influenced by Bina and Da'as, which is understanding and knowledge, which is finite, right? Which is, Chachma is infinite, right? Chachma doesn't have a definition really. The concept, Chachmas are kind of like a floating concept. In order to understand, you have to bring it down to Bina and Das, right? But Bina and Das, what happened to Bina and Das? They've been contaminated by our obsession of of physical gratification. So now Bina and Das are taken hostage by our obsession of of, um, physical gratification. And now we rationalize, we can rationalize anything. This is the most fascinating part of this chapter that I love the most is Bina and Das allows us to rationalize our behavior and say, oh, this is okay because of this and this circumstances, or it's not so bad that I'm doing this because I'm rationalizing it. So now our actions are being held hostage by Bina and Das, which are held hostage by our ego. So Chachma is still pure. Chachma is still up there in our brain, and it's but it's not affecting Um, it can't influence our heart because we're, we're, we're stuck in the rationalization of Bina and Das. Right. Okay. But when confronted with the test of life or death in a matter, like in a matter of faith, right. When we're tested with our faith with life or death, It transcends Bina and Das, right? Because it's not logical. You can't rationalize something like that. So it transcends Bina and Das and goes right to Chachma, which is super rational. And that is how we can actually, somebody who's a non-believer or non-practicing can actually end up giving their life for Hashem because it surpasses their bin and Das, their their rationalizations for all their actions, and goes right to Chachma, Okay, So um, basically what happens is that the Chachma wakes up and provides a surge of faith. It provides a surge of faith. That will then allow us to make that choice. So, and then once chachma floods the soul, klipa is powerless. Right? Because once you flood the soul with chachma and this infinite light, klipa is—it's flattened. There's no room for it anymore. Okay. So this is this is how it happens. So, and not only. Right. And also one more point, klipa can only operate under the illusion of separateness. Klipa only operates under the illusion that we are separate from Hashem. So, which which is fragmentation, right? It operates, it thrives on... Fragmentation and separateness. When we think we're separate from Hashem, we have our own ego, we have our own, we we do our own, we have our own decisions, we do our own thing, we have self gratification. That's when Klippa thrives. But once Chachma floods through the soul, there's no such thing as separateness. We are one with Hashem. Klippa now understands that there's, what do you mean? There is no separateness. We're one with Hashem, so it has no power over us. And that's why that Chachma and that Ava Musutaris, that um, dormant love, can allow a non-believer or a uh, person who doesn't practice to have a surge of faith and give their life for Hashem. So, um, And the last point of the Tanya is that not only does it, this Chachma doesn't only affect our deep core, it affects our garments too, our thoughts, speech and action. You would think, Bear with me here for a second. You would think that the Chachma floods your soul and then you have this deep faith for Hashem and your deep core is connected to Hashem, but it doesn't mean you have to give your life because let's say I'm served with a choice of bowing down to this idol or giving my life. I can say, oh, I believe in Hashem in my deep core. I'll bow down to the idol, but it doesn't really, I don't really believe in it, but I can still bow down to it. But no, the Chachma is so strong that's going to affect even our thought, speech, and action. And it doesn't allow us to even bow down, even if we don't believe it, because our actions and our insights have to be congruent. And the people outside watching don't know what's in your deep core. They don't know that you truly believe in Hashem, but you're just bowing down to the idol to save your life. Right? Nobody knows that. Nobody can know what's in your deep core. So the Chachma of Hashem is so strong that it doesn't even allow you to even bow down inauthentically, right? I can bow down to the idol inauthentically and still believe in Hashem, but the deep, but the chachma is so strong it says, no, it, we don't allow you to do that because nobody can see your deep core and we don't wanna give anyone any idea that we're separate from Hashem for even one second. That's how strong that chachma is, that it even affects not only our deep core, but it affects our actions. And if you think about that, that's crazy. If the deep, if the chachma would affect our deep core and and gives us a surge of faith, and we're like, okay, we believe in Hashem, we understand that there's one God, but I can still pretend to save my life. And no, the chachma is so strong that it, we don't even do that. It's not even allowed to do that, and it doesn't. It didn't. It doesn't. It doesn't do that because it's just. Hashem is now the, the concept of Hashem being one with us is too strong to even give anyone an idea that we're separate from Hashem or we're, or we're accepting another God except for him, even if it's not authentic. Okay. So, um, okay. There's a question about Muranos, which I'm going to get to. Um, and then we're going to answer, we're going to take two seconds and we're going to answer our last question about the reverence connected within the love, OK? But our, our first question is answered, right? We understand what the intrinsic quality of this Alba is, and we understand why. And we understand the trajectory of how this happens. And we also understand why, if you're a non-believer, that why you have a soul, you could still be a non-believer, right? And we understand now how. A non believer can give its life for Hashem because the chachma of the soul is activated. Do we understand all that? Okay, so how did the Muranos cope? This is a very, this is probably the question of, you know, one of the most common questions. Um, Number one, the Muranos were a very small group of people. Um, The Muranos were um, tricky. It's actually, there's hundreds of thousands of people that gave their lives during the Inquisition, right? That literally burnt at the stake. There are people who gave up. And then there are people who tried to live this double thing. Now, there is no way in the world that I'm going to be judging the Moranos because who knows what I would do in that position. But the fact of the matter is what happened to the Muranos descendants? They're all assimilated, OK, there they tried to hang on to Hashem, but it, it, it worked to a degree, but it didn't really work because there are lo- that's lost. Like there's they didn't continue the 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 chain of of their of their connection to Hashem because they were in secret davening and lighting Shabbos candles or whatever, but they weren't able to pass it on to their kids and so forth. So that their generation kind of, kind of got lost. So you can understand why God forbid we should ever judge the Muranos. We can understand why that wasn't really preserving their faith generationally. Do you get what I'm saying? It wasn't enough. Like, Yes they they wanted to they wanted to live and they wanted to serve Hashem so they did the best they could right and in that circumstance and who knows what any of us would do in that circumstance but it didn't really allow Hashem to live through the generations so that's my that's my little take on it i can research more but it is a tricky kind of understanding and and you have to understand that this what we just discussed is the uh, is is telling us the ability of a non-believer or the ability of a situation to occur? It doesn't mean it always does, right? It doesn't mean this is what always happens. But does it have the potential and the possibility to happen? Does it happen? Does it happen most of the time? Yes, most of the time when a Jew is confronted with life or death, very rarely do they choose life. Very rarely do they assimilate. Now. Now we can go into a whole discussion of assimilation of not nowadays, where majority of the Jews are assimilated. Well, that's because it's, there's no knowledge anymore. You're not choosing that it's it, assimilation, whatever, what hap- ends up happening with assimilation is they don't, now people don't even know their options, right? It's, we're so assimilated. So yes, does, does it happen where somebody would choose life over death in the circumstance, in the crisis of faith? Yes, it does happen. Is there the ability and the possibility for a non-believer or someone who doesn't believe in Hashem or practice to give their life for Hashem? hundred percent. And we know how, we know how that could happen as well. Okay. Okay. So the last thing I want to touch upon quickly, because I do have to go in two minutes is the, um, how does dormant love also include awe? We know it has to include awe because there's no complete service of Hashem without love and awe, okay? So how does that happen? The willingness um, to die for Hashem as a result of the awakened Chachma is called a reverence that is contained in love, okay? So I'm going to repeat that. The willingness to die for Hashem as a result of the awakened Chachma is called a reverence that is, one second. Yeah, sorry, I, my handwriting is very bad. I can hardly ever read it. But it is a reverence that is contained in love, okay? I, I write notes and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm writing notes because I can't even read them. So it's very special. But okay, so the willingness to die for Hashem, as a result of this awakened chachma, is referred to as a, re- a awe, reverence, an awe that is contained in love. So in this love, there is a reverence, okay? Because the a love for Hashem doesn't it, that it, it's not enough to motivate you to die for Hashem. Just love, you have to have an awe and almost a fear of disconnection, right? That is what motivates you to give your life. It's not just love of Hashem. That's not enough. It's the fear of the disconnection of Hashem that will motivate you to give your life. So it's a, it's a reverence that's contained in love. So that's how we have both in this one. Ava Mesuteras includes both. It includes the dormant love and it includes this refer, reverence, this fear. I use reverence because I hate the word fear, but this reverence or ah, that doesn't allow you to disconnect from Hashem. So you need both of those to motivate you to actually give your life. Just loving Hashem, if you love something, doesn't, it's not enough to motivate you to die for it. It's the fear of the disconnection that will motivate you to actually give your life, okay? So you love Hashem so much that you can't bear to do anything that will disconnect you from him. You love him so much that you have such a great fear of the disconnection. You get how that's working together? Okay. So um, that is how we have this, that is how this this awe, this fear, this reverence is contained within this love. The love motivates you to have such a fear of disconnection. Okay. Okay. Woo, that was big. Now, any questions before we take a minute to just let that sink in with our meditation? anything come up? Is it clear? Do we understand all these points? We understand Chachma. We understand the dormant love. We understand how our soul's is flame that wants to connect. We understand how, even though we have the Chachma in our soul, it's not always accessible. It's an exile because we don't allow it to exist. How do we not allow it to exist? Because we're too self-serving, right? We don't, we don't give it room. When does a Klippa, nullified is when the Chachma is awakened by this life or death situation. And Chachma floods our soul, which allows, which then it, um, affects klipa in a way that it doesn't exist anymore because it thrives on separateness. Once there's no separateness, klipa can exist. And then we have this impulse, this super rational decision to die for Hashem even though we might not always feel connected or believe in him because we're so immersed in our Bina and Das, which is held hostage by our self-gratification. That was like three seconds, all in a nutshell, right? Okay. Take a deep breath. We're gonna, I'm gonna do a little, I'm going the meditation will be a little shorter than usual because I have my whole family already sitting in the car waiting for me. Um, so that's good. Next week, we're going to be, um, say regular time. Okay. And anyone who missed, listen to the recording. Don't let this derail you. When I, when I change it up on you, don't let it derail you. You got to stick. You got to be strong. Okay. Deep breath in. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Gently close your eyes. Just let the breath take you where it takes you. Don't try to control it. Just follow the natural rhythm of your breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. This is a big class. We learned a lot of different things. So if there's any tension, if you feel any stress, just let it melt away. Observe where you're holding your stress. It's, a, it's really good to know where you're holding your stress so you can visualize it just melting out of your body. Okay. I want to leave you with a few points to ponder on during this week. Okay. And let me know how it goes and we can discuss next class. Your soul is naturally drawn to Hashem, like a flickering flame that yearns to depart from its wick. So our soul is like a flame that is always wanting to connect to its source. The power of Chachma in your soul acts as a window to God's light, offering a direct, remember we said a direct embodied experience of the infinite. The Chachma is the window that allows this to happen. And it can't remember, it's the path. It's not a path, it's the path. Only Chachma can be a channel for for holiness because the other parts of the soul are too inherently self-serving. Okay, that's why only Chachma can allow this to happen. Your Chachma never becomes extinguished. It may become exiled and powerless due to repeated sinning, but it's always there waiting to be reawakened. So we, it might be exiled, our Chachma. We might not have access to it, but it's always there and ready and waiting when it's, when it's needed. Chachma is awakened by a test of faith, such as convert or die, which explains why so many other, otherwise non-observant Jews have chosen martyrdom over for their faith. Okay. And the one thing, the next thing I want you to leave with is that we have now understood how Chachma and this Ava activates in a moment of life or death. But remember, that's not what our goal is to try to activate this in real life. So through these chapters, we're going to figure out how to apply this to our real life, not a life or death situation. We don't want to live in life or death situations. And it's not in the, and it's not really common, right? We wanna understand how this Ava Masutaris will be useful to us in our daily life. We just haven't gotten there yet. We first have to understand Ava is natural, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Natural role and natural abilities. And then we apply it to more practical way of life. Okay, so we didn't forget about that. Bring your attention back to your breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. When you're ready, gently open your eyes. I'm sorry the meditation was a little bit more rushed. I hope you just were able to just take a second and think about what we learned. Um, review, look into the Tanya if you need to review. and. The, I, the more you read it, the more it's gonna make sense. I think we have a a good grasp on what we talked about. Do we feel that way? Do we feel like we've got a good hold on where we're headed and what we're doing and how we're getting there, okay? Um, Remember if any questions come up, you're welcome to message me um, on any of the ways you know how to find me. And um, we'll see you here back next week, Wednesday, but we'll be back at our regular time. And recordings will be available on YouTube on Schmoozy, hopefully sometime later today. Okay? Thanks, guys. Bye.